Well, good evening again. I'm glad to see you're still here and you came back after this morning. And I know he said, you didn't run me off. Well, I didn't run you off either, so that's a good thing. Uh, we've, we enjoyed going out to lunch with some of you. And we came back and the weather was so nice. And so we let our kids play out here on your field a little bit and met some neighborhood kids and our, you know, just kind of met some people. And our kids have been trading Pokemon cards and, and doing things that... Uh, they had a good time, so uh, just thankful for it and thankful to be here, especially thankful for that last song. Uh, just the idea that we're going to answer the call of Christ our captain and all that he's doing, and he's telling us to arise, to stand up, to be the church of God, to be his people. And I'm just thankful for that message. And tonight we're going to talk about something similar as we get into the concept of prayer. I told you this morning I wanted to talk tonight about how we pray for one another. I did give you a handout. You don't have to look at it yet. Uh, I don't know that I'm really even going to get that far into it, uh, but I'll talk about it a little bit as we go on. But something that I really believe in is when people say, hey, let's pray, we pray. In other words, if somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, can you pray for me? I think you need to stop right there and pray. And I, part of that is life overseas. We've been, that's been drilled into us. Listen, when somebody says, can you pray for me? You stop and pray for him. If it was a Muslim man on the street and they said, you know, I'm really concerned about this, I would ask them, well, can I pray for you? And we'd stop there. Uh, even here in the States, we do the same thing. I've been out knocking on doors this past, even during COVID, during this past season. And, and sometimes you're talking to people and, and maybe they don't want to come to church, but you know what you can say? You know, I love to pray and I know God hears us. And so can I pray for you? And they never tell me no. I, it doesn't matter if they believe it or believe the gospel or not, they don't tell you no when you say, hey, can I pray for you? And I don't know how many times you finish praying and you see them that they're tearing up because prayer affects things. God uses us when we pray. And so tonight, I want to challenge us and at the, at the end of this for you to choose five Christians, five believers in your church or not to commit to praying for on a daily basis. It doesn't sound like a very hard idea, is it? It's not very radical, but what I find is it doesn't come naturally to us. Because our version of praying often tends to be, oh yeah, they asked me to pray for them, and I think about them, I might say a short prayer, and then I forget it. Because we're not disciplined anymore in it. And so I want to talk about it, but tonight as we talk about this prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1, I'd like you to be thinking of other Christians that you could be praying that same prayer for and wouldn't it be great if somebody was praying those kind of prayers for you? And so let's talk about this tonight. So we're look, turn your Bibles, if you have it, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 15 tonight. But just to fill you in on what Paul's been talking about in this letter, uh, so far he, he started out in verse 3 saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he begins to expound, how is it that God has blessed us with every blessing that there is to bless? He hasn't held anything back, and he begins to talk about how he is, God has provided this great salvation to us, even before the foundation of the world, and it has all been done in Christ. And so he has adopted us into his family. He didn't just save us, he brought us into the family. And he has this great salvation that he lays out, Jews and Gentiles alike are all in the same boat when it comes to salvation and he's just rejoicing then you get to verse 13 let's pick it up there it says in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation 
Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a pledge, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He stops that section saying, listen, this, all this salvation, all these things work out for the praise of his glory. That it's all about Jesus, it's all about God in the end. We give thanks for you, and we give thanks for all that he's done. And then in verse 15, he starts his prayer for the believers there in Ephesus. And listen to it. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. I'll stop there for just a moment. Do you hear the kind of prayer he's praying? And this is a prayer that he's praying for people in a city that he's not even there. He's been a good amount of time in Ephesus, and he's been in and out. At one point, you'll recall that Paul left Ephesus and said, Timothy, I need you to stay there and take care of this. And so Timothy spent a long time in Ephesus. At one point, John, the author of the Gospel of John, lived in Ephesus. Uh, tradition says even uh, Mary herself lived in Ephesus for a while. And still today, if you go to, to modern-day Turkey, you can see the house that they said she lived in. She didn't. But they say that she lived in the house, and so you can go see where they say Mary lived. My point is this. Paul is concerned about these believers. He cares about them. He holds them in his heart, and so he prays for them. And brothers and sisters, if we love one another, and if we are all in the same family of God, we've got to dedicate ourselves to praying for one another. So back up into verse 15. Again, he started it by saying, uh, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So let's, let's start that. What is he saying? As he talks about the gospel here, he says, I've heard about your faith. I've heard that God has worked and acted to rescue you from the darkness, and I'm going to give thanks to God for you. You ever stop and give thanks for your brothers and sisters around you? that God rescued them and saved you? I got an honest answer from, from one of my children. <laughs> oh, he said he, he thought I actually meant his actual brothers and sisters. He doesn't, he's not as thankful for them, but we'll work on that. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me share you the testimony. We, we were in, uh, in the Bible, you have a town called Iconium. And Turkey, in modern-day Turkey, it's Konya. It's right in central Turkey. It's the Islamic, conservative kind of capital of the country. And that's where we lived for about five years. And we actually had the pleasure of having a believer come from Antioch and move to our city. And his name was Ahmet, and Ahmet was on fire. He just, he was always sharing the gospel. He lost several jobs while he was there because he was sharing the gospel with other, with other Muslims. Uh, he was bringing people into our house church and inviting people, and it was fantastic. And I asked him one day, I said, Ahmed, how is it that you came to be a Christian? This country's 99.9% .9 Muslim. 
And he actually grew up in a very religious sect, a particular sect of Islam, that was very evangelistic. And so they wanted to convert people to Islam. And in, in the city of Antioch, which is right on the border with Turkey and Syria, uh, you'll find it all over your, your Bible. Um, but anyway, he was there. He said, listen, that town had a mix. There were Protestant groups from ancient, from long ago. There were the Greek Orthodox, there were the Catholics. He said, and, but most of the city is still Muslim. He said, I joined the church because I wanted to convert them to Islam. And so he said, I, listen, I started going, I started learning, and over time, I started realizing, wait a second, the message I'm hearing, there's a ring of truth to it. And he began to believe it, but he was terrified because, again, he's coming from this religious family, and he realizes that, listen, I'm supposed to be like uber-religious Islamic man. I'm supposed to be converting the Christians to our religion, not the other way around. And so he's begin to, to, to debate and wonder, and he was afraid. One night, Ahmed said, I had a dream. Actually, it wasn't Ahmed, I'm sorry. His brother, who didn't know anything about this, had the dream. And, I, and he said, my brother came to me, and he said, listen, I had a dream, and Jesus was there, and there was a long table. And we all walked in, and he said, I want the Muslims to sit over there, and the Christians to sit over there. And his brother said, Ahmed, you went and sat with the Christians. I want to know why. And Ahmed said, that day I knew I had to tell the truth. I had to say, I believe in Jesus. I had to call on his name and ask him to save me. And he did. And ever since, he'd been going about the country and sharing the gospel with others and, and was a strong believer. And, and uh, we were privileged to be able to work with him for some time before uh, he had to move to find another job. And uh, it was just a, a good story. But listen, when you hear of a conversion story like that, do you not stop and give thanks? It catches your attention. You know, I would start telling these kind of stories with other Turkish believers, and uh, they would always ask us well, about our testimonies. And so I, I didn't grow up in church, and so I would tell them how I got saved as a teenager. And, and then my wife would tell her testimony. Her parents were Christians. She doesn't know I'm saying this, so she's looking at me. Her parents were Christians. They grew up in a religious household. Uh, she was very, very young when she came to faith, and uh, she remembers being baptized and the little class she went through and all those things. And you know what the Turkish believers said? That's the most amazing testimony I've ever heard. You know why? They're like, we don't have that culture. We don't have the tradition. We don't have the churches. Our parents, we're all new believers. Our parents didn't grow up. We, didn't, we weren't children learning about this. That's our dream. We want our children to know the gospel the same way that she did. And you hear that and you realize our testimonies, what God has done, is nothing short of miraculous. It's not as dramatic as what Ahmet's story was. And I could tell you many other testimonies like that. Nevertheless, we've got to give thanks for one another. Paul says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So when you pick five people to pray for in your church, I want you to stop every day. And tell God, thank you for saving them. Because it was a miracle. And so let's continue on in this prayer. What else did Paul pray as he does this? Uh, by the way, it says he prayed without ceasing. And, and let's not be, let's, let's be honest about this. Nobody prays nonstop. Okay? You might be talking to God a lot. But I think what he's saying is, listen, I prayed for them frequently. And when I prayed... I made sure I mentioned and told God thank you for them. And so it's not saying you've got to spend 24 hours a day praying. 
But he does say, you need to probably pray more than we do. If, if Paul was following Hebrew tradition, there's a good chance at least three times a day he was going and praying. And so we need to be thinking, how can we work prayer into our lives? How can we give thanks for one another more often? I mean, the truth is, as I talk to people, we get frustrated praying for each other on a weekly basis. And I'll tell you, I, and since we've been back, a lot of times I'm working at the house. And obviously we have four kids, and, and they are homeschooled right now. You know why it's hard to do sometimes? Pray. You know why? It's loud. There's a lot of distractions. You know, and so you have to make time. You have to find time. When can you go and pray? Look down at verse 17. Let's get back into Ephesians 1.17. What else is he praying? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. We're now shifting into the content. He gives thanks. What other content is Paul praying? How can we pray for one another? Uh, what does he want to see for the Ephesians? What does he want to see here for each of you at Forest Heights Baptist Church? He asked God the Father of glory, to give him a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Uh, my translation, by the way, when it says spirit of wisdom, has a small capital letter. Uh, this idea that he's going to give us wisdom, but it's kind of a spirit of wisdom, generic. If you read in the ESV or some translations, it's a capital S. For, in other words, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit who gives you wisdom. And I think there's some truth in both of that, right? He does give you the spirit, and he fills you with the spirit. So we pray for each other to be given wisdom by the Spirit of God. We want Him, and we intercede for Him and say, can you fill us with the Spirit? Can you continue to give us wisdom, guide us as we live our lives? In a similar passage in Colossians 1.9, by the way, if you've never noticed, Ephesians and Colossians are almost the same outline. Uh, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he wrote to the Colossians, it's very, very similar. So if you ever get a chance, read those two books together. And you'll see what I mean. Uh, but in, a very, in Colossians 1.9, Paul says this. He prays there that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and insight. May God give your brothers and sisters spiritual wisdom. Would God make us wise? Church, we desperately need to be able to see things spiritually. We desperately need the wisdom when the world throws things at us, when life just throws things at us that we can understand from the Scripture what God wants us to do. But it's important that, guess what? As we look out there, do we always make the right decisions? Do you see your brothers and sisters sometimes choose unwise actions to fall into sin when they could have done better? Well, guess what? Maybe they fell into sin because you weren't praying for them. You ever think that? So we, we need to pray for one another to have spiritual wisdom and insight for God to help us I'm going to skip a little bit of this that I have prepared tonight, but I want you to consider James chapter 1, verse 5. It says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we pray that for ourselves, I want you to pray it for your five believers that you're going to commit to praying for. Pray that they would have wisdom. All right, let's look at that in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So let's stop there for a moment. The next thing he's praying, what we want them to have spiritual wisdom. We want to give thanks for them. 
And then we want to pray that they would understand, that their eyes would be enlightened so that they would understand what is the hope of his calling. Isn't that a weird word, that their eyes would be enlightened? In other words, that they were darkened, they were blind, and they needed to be able to see it. You know, in the Hebrew mind, in Judaism, the heart was the seat of the mind. Paul is asking that God illumine or shine light on your mind. Would God enable them to truly see? My eyes, my heart, I didn't know my heart had eyes that needed to be open, but it does. And so we need to pray for one another that our eyes would be open, that we would see. And what is it that we would know with those eyes that are open? The hope of his calling. You know, we hope for things that we don't have yet. Right? Hope is for the things that are yet unseen. It's the hope that God has made all these promises, and we're hoping and believing, trusting that he's going to carry them out because we know his character. We know he doesn't change. We know we can stand on the promises of his word. And so here he is saying, listen, I want you to hope in and understand, trust in this, the hope of your calling. What's the calling he's been talking about? And this whole chapter, the calling is, you've been adopted into my family. You've been called sons and daughters of God. You've been brought in through the blood of Jesus. You have been rescued. But you know salvation isn't past tense. You know, we always say, well, I was, I was saved. You know, the scripture says we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved in the future. That the salvation he began in us will not be completed until the day that we stand with him in eternity. When we put off this body and put on his, a body like his glorious body. When we put off mortality for immortality. That's when salvation is completed. He says, I want you to know the hope of your calling in all of its riches. I want you to long and hope for eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth with Jesus. You need spiritual eyes to be able to see past your circumstances that you find yourself in this world. You need to see the hope of heaven and the passing nature of this earth. And he wants them to understand that. You know what? Your brothers and sisters out there need to know this world isn't the end. And sometimes... On just from a human perspective, we forget it. I need you to pray that for me. I want you to pray that my eyes would be enlightened, that I would understand the hope of my calling, all the good things, all the, it said there, remember at the beginning of this, that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's nothing he didn't hold back. He said, I want you to understand that hope. But you got to pray that for one another. Somebody's going through life and they're having a hard time and they're down and they just want to give up, kind of like we're talking about this morning, pray for them. That's God said. He's telling us right here, listen, Paul's praying for them. You pray for your brothers and sisters. The next thing he says, I, I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That we would understand who we are in Christ, that God has gifted us to his son. We belong to him we are valuable and worthy in his eyes, not because of our own merit, but because he has chosen to rescue us and redeem us and give us to Christ. We know and we feel the worth of belonging to him. We are his, and church, we must hold on to that, and we want everybody to hold on to that promise. Paul prayed it for them, so pray it for each other. The last thing here that uh, Paul wants there, when, when these eyes are enlightened, when their eyes are open so they can see, Here's the last thing he prays for them here. He prays that they would understand, if you look at verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So 
let's talk about, we're going to spend the last few minutes here talking about um, Paul's prayer for them. I said last few minutes, we've got plenty of time. The last thing Paul prays for them to know and see with their spiritual eyes is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Um, I want you to notice that as we're looking at his power and how we, I want us to see how it can motivate and inform us in our prayers. So notice the first thing, a couple things first. First, it is, his power is great. It is the surpassing greatness of his powers. It's so great we, we can't even describe how great it is. One of the songs tonight had the word omnipotent in it. It's all-powerful. He is all-powerful, and I, we need to know that. We need to be reminded of his power. His power is infinite. It has no limits. There's nothing that God cannot do. Notice second what Paul prays in, in verse 19. That his power is toward us who believe. That all this power is directed at you and me. Isn't that comforting thought? That God directs his powers at you and me. And we need to pray, our brothers and sisters would understand that and know it and remember it and take it deep into their heart. God is directing his infinite power towards you, and Paul prays that the believers would understand that God has turned and directed that power at them. We see this power clearly when we examine uh, his power that is on display in the resurrection. Look at verse 20. As it's talking about the strength of his might, it says, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and, all, and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What we see there is this. It's not just any power. The power that we're talking about is the power with which God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, if a power can do that, if a power can, can break down the barriers of death, can defeat death, and can't that power do anything that God sets his mind to do? And doesn't he claim that he listens to us, that he wants us to approach his throne of grace and talk with him, and all that power, it says, is directed at us? Jesus is above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion. This means that Jesus reigns and rules over all the earth, but also all things in heaven. It says there are powers and and dominions of darkness in the spiritual world that we don't see, but Christ even rules over the kingdom of darkness. All the evil powers that, of, that be here, according to this text, uh, not only this age, but all the ages to come, he's over them all. His power, again, is directed towards us. As we are in a spiritual battle, you know that, right? There are spiritual battles that go on all throughout this place. Uh, listen to Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 12. He tells them there to put on the full armor of God. You guys know this passage. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Whose schemes? The devil. There's a spiritual war. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, there is a real struggle against real evil. And your brothers and sisters are taking part in that every day. If we don't pray for them, that's not good. If, you know, we send our soldiers off to war, aren't we supposed to pray for them? And if you know them personally, I bet you do. Well, is it any different today? You know, as I, as I meet some of you and I talk to some of you, 
I know, listen, you go through things. Our world is, is difficult sometimes, but I want your hearts to be enlightened so that you see the truth. Jesus is in command. He's in charge, and he has all the power. His power is directed at us to aid us as we go through this battle. Pray that we would all understand that. I recently spoke with someone that, that said, you know, I, I need to hear that message because I thought about committing suicide last week. They need to hear it. And if and I didn't previously know that person, but if I had, I'd have to say, listen, I, I should have been praying for you. I'm just asking you tonight, take five believers, five Christians to pray for. By the way, there's a second sermon that I, I do with this sometimes about praying for five unbelievers. Uh, but tonight, we're just talking, pick your brothers and sisters and commit to praying for them. I think that's how this work gets done. You know, we, we live in the world and we see the mess that goes on at times. And, and you know, we, we think usually we live in relative safety. Sometimes things wake us up a little bit. I think COVID did. It just realized that hey, the, the whole way our society is structured could change, and you just don't know. Um, you know, if you were the average person, however, and take a country like Syria, last five years you had ISIS and all the, the, the kind of mess that came through that, the violence, the war in Syria, and it, it poured over into Iraq. And, and we, we kind of were, I guess, sensitive to that because in Turkey you had things coming across the border and and at one point there was an ISIS community like down the street from us and, and just things that you kind of, you start learning, hey, the world's not as safe as I thought it was, you know? And it opens your eyes and one time I remember waiting in line to get a visa so we could stay in the country. And there was a man there and he was uh, pretty well spoken. He spoke English. Uh, he was a, a, an engineer and, and he was worried because he didn't have any identification on him. And he's trying to get a visa to stay in Turkey. He had no passport, nothing. And I said, well, friend, I, he's asking, can, I, can you help me? I don't speak Turkish, and you do. And I said, well, yeah, but I, why don't you have any of your, why don't you have a passport? He said, well, I went to work. Missiles hit my apartment building while I was gone. And I never went back. You know, once the war hit, once they started shooting in Aleppo, I was out of there. I'm beginning to think, if my world, if I understood that the world can be that way, I think differently. And I hope it never comes to that for any of us. But what I do want to tell you to do is pray for one another as though it is. God's power is sufficient for us. But we need to be able to trust in Him in those moments. Trust in Him. And I think we'd see the world differently, understand that there are spiritual battles and that we need to be prayed up. We need God to help us see through the circumstances and see Him. We need to put aside our fear and realize that the one who controls the universe is attentive and active. We don't live in fear, but in the power of God. We put on the armor of God. We pray for our world. We pray for our nation. We pray for our church. We pray for one another. Those big topics are kind of hard sometimes. You know, oh, let's pray for our nation. But it's hard to get in specifics sometimes, isn't it? But as you get, if you start praying for one another, you know, start asking each other, hey, how can I pray for you? And it gets, it gets personal, and it gets real, and that's how we get into our lives. I, I firmly believe, if you, you look when the church kind of first was getting going in Acts chapter 2, 
You know, there were some things that they were committing themselves to, the teaching of the apostles, but also meeting together house to house. Real fellowship where they got to know one another and they prayed for one another. And I'm afraid that often we get away from that because we, we live in our, we kind of put a bubble around ourselves and we've all done it. I do it sometimes. But we've got to be able to get past that and say, how can I pray for you? And sometimes it's awkward, you know? I, I didn't realize this. I, I guess, you know, we've been in ministry a long time and I forget that it's sometimes awkward to pray out loud with someone, isn't it? If the surpassing greatness of his power is directed at us, he will enable us to pray together. And it might seem small, but hey, it's a triumph if you've never done it and you start. And once you start praying together, you won't stop. You'll want to do it more. So if you have a mind that has been enlightened by the Spirit, if we have spiritual wisdom, we can sift through the lies and truth of this world, the schemes of the devil that are used against us, and um, all these things begin to, to just seem so much better. And I encourage you again, if you get stressed out, if you're angry, you're frustrated, you're scared, you're disheartened, trust in the power of God. Turn off the TV. Turn off Fox News and CNN and all those things. Put Facebook down. And just read your Bible for a few days. Pray together. Pray for one another to have spiritual insight and wisdom. And pray that God show us the truth. And I think when we do that, we begin to redirect our minds. And it's just beneficial to you, and it's beneficial for those that you're praying for. And I think it, it's, it's so simple, right? We all know this stuff. But sometimes we just have to be reminded of it. According to verse 22, it says, He put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things have been placed under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church and his power. He nourishes us. He provides for us. He guides us. What a great gift to his body. He doesn't abandon us. He directs his power toward us. Do you guys believe that Jesus has control of everything? Do you believe it tonight? Do you have faith in that? You know, we, we think of faith, and faith, the initial faith is, is certainly important, right? But faith really is just a, a synonym with the word trust. It's belief and trust together. And I'm asking you today, do you trust in God's promises when things are hard? We say, God, I trust you to keep your promises. Church, tonight, I want you to see that. Pray that for one another. Pray that your brothers and sisters would trust in him. Uh, I want to take a look at this handout real fast. I keep checking my watch, and I don't have one. My son made fun of me for this earlier. Um, what I did on this handout, you can see on this side with all those columns, I just went to the, to the very front of some of Paul's letters and found where he prayed for the believers. And I just did it because if you're like me, sometimes you just don't know what to pray. You guys ever been there? You start praying, you sit down, I'm going to pray for 15 minutes, and after about two minutes, you kind of run out of stuff to say. I like to pray through Scripture. And I would encourage you to do that. So I gave you this handout. Maybe if you pick your five one day, just go through and pray for them. Say, I'm going to pray through one of these prayers for them today. 
I think it's simple. It's a simple method, but it gives us something active to do. Say, hey, I want to pray for, um, uh, I just met Brother Bobby a little bit ago. I was just introduced for him, and, and I know he's been playing the organ, and that's been kind of cool because I haven't heard an organ in a while. And uh, I, maybe I could just pick one of these and pray for him tomorrow. And I think something like that is simple, isn't it? Is it it's not rocket science. And so it, it gives us something concrete to do. And so I've enjoyed teaching through this um, on more than one occasion. Uh, if you look at the backside, I just kind of went through and summarized some of these. Frequency, how often should we pray for our brothers and sisters? How often do we pray for other believers? And if you look in his, um, if you look at the text, he uses words like, we have not ceased to pray for you, unceasing prayers. And then he says, I do not cease. In other words, how often should we pray for our brothers and sisters? Frequently, right? Often. I don't have an exact answer for you, and I don't think he intends to give us an exact number. This isn't some kind of legalistic thing. I'm not telling you you got to pray uh, for uh, Stephen three times a day, but maybe you should. I, he might need it. I don't know. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> But then the, kind of the, one of the things I didn't talk about as much tonight is there's this attitude that goes with prayer, right? The gratitude as we pray and give thanks for one another. You guys ever been in a, I, I'm sure you have not ever been in a business meeting that got nasty, right? People are fussing and fighting. You know what? Maybe you need to find somebody in the church you know that that might happen between you and him or you and her and make them one of your five. Because if you're giving God thanks for them every day, when, when things kind of get rocky between you, you might just be able to handle it better. But you can't wait until the day of and, and then pray that prayer. you got to do it frequently, unceasingly, day after day, praying, you know what? I'm going to give thanks for my brother today. I'm going to give thanks for Tim. I don't know anything about Tim and business meetings. It's just, I'm just... I've called on people that I know their names, okay? And I'm trying not to pick on my own family. Brittany's next. <laughs> uh, but the, I'm just kidding, Brittany. But the content of, the next section is just the content. And I just went through and summarized some of the things he said. Uh, what do we pray for? And you could just look at this list if you wanted, or you could flip over and just pray through the scriptures. Uh, but pray that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and insight. Pray that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Isn't that, a, isn't that a strong prayer? I pray that Brittany would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And I pray, I hope you pray that for, for me or, or uh, whoever's standing up here, you, uh, people that are leadership in your church. Pray for your deacons. Pray for um, uh, your, all right, tank, tankersley. I, yeah, I keep trying to, I keep getting his, his first name mixed up because he keeps telling me everybody calls him Tank, and so I'm just going to stick with that. Richard, Richard. I, I'm almost related to them because I have family in Albany, where, or Albany, where he's from, and I've got family in Folkston, where she's from, and so we're almost family, man. <laughs> I was, as we read this, so we can pray that their lives would please God in all respects that they would bear fruit in every good work. You know the fruit of the Spirit we talk about? Hey, so-and-so's kind of grouchy. Well, maybe I should be praying for them, right? And giving thanks for the things that they do well. 
Let's not be uh, judgmental there, because if you're going to do that, you better pray for yourself as well. But then the, pray that they would increase in the knowledge of God, that God would strengthen them with power, they'd be steadfast and patient, that their love would abound more and more, that they would abound in real knowledge and discernment. Uh, you guys see this list. I don't have to read all of this to you. But wouldn't that kind of prayer change something? I think if we would just do that, there's space for five names at the bottom. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but I am. Pick somebody to pray for. Even if it's just one or two tonight, you don't know how, who ought to put on your list yet. Fill it out. And this week, say, you know what, God? I'm going to pray for them. And it, it might just be at work. It might be short prayers at first until you get used to doing it. But when you think of them this week, pray. Uh, in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. and uh, But let me pray for us. Father, tonight... I thank you for everyone that is here at Forest Heights Baptist Church. God, I pray that you would fill all the people here with wisdom, spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would understand how you want us to live. God, I pray that the people here would walk in a manner worthy of you. God, I pray that you would give them power, that you would strengthen them, that you would help them fight the, the evil that is in this world, help them fight against their own sin. God, would you bless the people here? Father, I pray that you'd help us to be dedicated to prayer. Father, you have given us untapped, unlimited potential because you have directed your power towards us. And so, Father, help us to ask you. Put that in our heart. Lay it on our hearts tonight, Father. Lay it on our heart as we go through our week to just simply stop and pray for one another. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.